Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Today's guest is Katie the Russian, who is going to share with us her story of how she grew up in Siberia, escaped, for want of a better word, uh, Russia, become a professional sailor, somehow ended up going through immigration hell into the US, never drinking alcohol, finding Bitcoin, starting a business, flag theory, and so much other cool stuff that uh, this young lady has achieved in her life. It's very, very cool. It's a story of self-sovereign survival and being predisposed to find Bitcoin and giving back. And of course, she's going to be giving back in a big way in Miami and, and throwing a little sidechain conference about flag theory and, and unschooling and self-sovereignty. And it's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. I really hope you enjoy this one. Thank you, Katie, for coming on and sharing all of this. Really enjoyed it. Before we do the interview, I would like to give the deserved shills to a few companies out there doing amazing work. Coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten Bitcoin only exchange relay R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. That is DCA app service across Europe and Switzerland. Start stacking. In the US, thank you so much, guys, for listening. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. Have you covered? Sign up with those guys. You can DCA like a champion. Then you've got to take control of your coins. Please make sure you have these in your control. You can use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet from ShiftCrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. Let's get to know Katie a little better. And then if we do a clap together, one, two, three, clap. One, two, three, one, two, wait, wait, wait. One, two, three, clap. Okay, cool. Can you, can you still hear us? Yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, welcoming to the show, Katie the Russian. Thanks, happy to be here. Great to see you. And uh, Lauren is here to ask you the first question. Hi. I'm afraid she's going to probably ask you the, probably the best question of the whole evening. But, uh, you know, who am I to get in the way of scheduling and structuring the podcast, right? Over to you, Lauren. Um, so why did you decide to become a sailor? It was actually not my decision. Uh, yeah. It, it was like coincidental because I'm from Siberia, which is the coldest part of Russia. Not very good place for sailing, as you might guess. But on my ninth birthday, my parents gave me a snowboard and I became pretty good at snowboarding quite quickly. And the same coach who was teaching me how to snowboard was starting a sailing school in my hometown. And we have this absolutely beautiful lake in my hometown, uh, which is frozen eight months out of a year. But, you know, we still have the rest of the year to learn how to sail. And, uh, yeah, at the age of nine, I started doing it and I picked it up pretty quickly. And uh, the hobby ended up being 
a little different level that hobbies actually are for people usually. Um, but, you know, I never seen it as my career. It was still a hobby. Um, and I never realized that I got to some, some levels that people consider like professional. Uh, but yeah, it was just coincidental. And I, I was just at the right time, in the right place. And I loved it a lot. So I put a lot of time and effort into that. I bet so. It's sailing. You have to like put up the sails, like know where, where, where to go. You have to just get everything ready. There's lots of different sailing yeah. as well. Were you sailing solo, Katie? I started as a solo sailor. I was nine, um, sailed Optimist, really good name for the first boat. And then I sailed um, a lot of different Olympic classes and ended up at much racing. And much racing, we call it as chess on the water because it's only two people competing against each other or two teams competing against each other. And imagine there is uh, 12 people entering the competition and uh, there is round robin going on where you sail against every other team and you use exactly the same boats. You change the boat every race. And now in the round robin, we decide, uh, like we figure out who is the best because now you sailed against everyone. And I love this um, uh, much racing a lot because I felt like it's more logical um, and more strategic and it was like the right thing for me. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Any more questions? Um, um, yeah. Have you like won any medals or trophies? Yeah, I was a champion of Russia many years mm. in a row. And I was in top 20 world ranking. And that's actually how I moved to the United States because I was quite good and the United States wanted me to compete for them. So they gave me a green card. Wow. They poached her. They wanted her to race for the United States instead of Russia Mm. because she was that good. Yes. Pretty cool, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Anything else? Uh, no, I can leave the rest to you. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Good questions, Lauren. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Nice to meet you. podcast. <laughs> Great. No. No, it's okay. I was going to ask if you needed a beer, but I saw your wine. I, I, I have wine tonight. I, I'm, I'm, a re, I, I'm, I'm playing the refined gentleman when, when, while speaking with Katie. I've got my coffee. Yes, we are on different time zones, so uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to be boozing. Not like, uh, not like the toxic happy hour guys. Although even then, I don't think you were. Um... I remember I've watching never, the show. I've never ever tried alcohol in my life. Stop! Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Like vodka, Katie. What's going on? I know people keep calling me fake Russian because I I've never tried vodka. I've never tried any alcohol, and I know I know it's weird, uh, but I feel very comfortable with that. I don't think I'm I'm gonna try anytime soon. That's amazing. What was was that just a like a conscious decision at some stage, or did did that have something to do with the amount of well the level of fitness that you need to have right as a as a pro athlete? I feel like there were so many things that came together for me not to drink alcohol. Um, Originally, it was just a bet with my mom. I was nine or 10 year old and my sister was 15. So she was at at the age where all the teenagers started drinking in Russia. And we were in a car and we were listening to a local radio and they told a story how Rockefeller made a bet with his kids that they're not gonna smoke weed for some, you know, huge amount of money. 
and weed is not a big thing in Russia. Well, it wasn't back then. So my mom was like, hey, girls, do you want to make a bet that you're not going to smoke a cigarette until you're 21 for $5,000? We're like, hell yeah, like, we're not planning to smoke. Nobody in our family smokes. Like, it's not even in the picture. 5000 for free, basically. And, uh, and then she was like, what about alcohol? And my sister is 15. She's a very good girl. And I'm nine. Or, like, I'm not planning to drink at all. And uh, we're like, yeah, let's do it. So I kind of had this mentality that I'm not drinking until 21 and not smoking until 20, until 21 for $10,000. And so did my sister. And uh, I just grew up with this idea in my head. And my sister actually did try alcohol at 21. And she was like social drinking a couple times a month ever since. Uh, but... For some reason, I don't know, maybe it gets stuck in my head that much. But also, of course, I was already a professional athlete. So I knew that, like, it's going to affect my, um, you know, my state of my health. And at 21, on my birthday, uh, I never really celebrate birthday, but I was, like, at snowboard, like, at ski resort in my hometown. And all my friends came over with a bottle of liquor. Because they're like, finally, Katie's been waiting for this moment for so long. And I was like what I'm not planning to start drinking and my dad was celebrating he's got a full bar after that and uh, at this point (laughs) I was already learning English I was preparing to move to the states and I was so focused on that that I was like "Uh uh-uh I'm not gonna fuck up my brain right now I'm preparing for my TOEFL test of English as a foreign language exam and I was like no maybe later maybe after I pass the exam I'll give it a try and then um, I passed the exam I didn't feel like it I moved to the States, now I was on a tourist visa, so any problem with police, like I'm getting arrested for nothing, I'm already getting deported, so I was like, no, I definitely should not start drinking now, I don't know how it's gonna go, I'm like, I don't know anybody in this country, nobody can help me here, my parents are 10,000 miles away, and I don't really have friends yet, so I decided to delay it again, and then I can't, like, I I felt like I kept coming up with new reasons not to try alcohol, Like, I was like, okay, maybe when I have two kids or when I got my MBA, which is like, I'm a proud dropout. I don't even have my bachelor. What what MBA are we talking about? So at this point, I feel like now it's definitely just a choice and I feel like I'm better off not drinking. Uh, But yeah, it was quite quite an interesting journey. I can't believe the money you've saved and the brain cells. (laughs) Yes, only benefits, honestly. I don't see a single, like, um, pros here. Cons, I guess I don't see any cons, yeah. It's one, I wonder, what, what am I, like, 44? If I started, yeah, like, actually going to pubs and buying drinks at, like, the age of 17, how much, uh, you, you, I think you'd, you'd want to hang yourself by the time you've done that kind of mathematical Quite a DC-8 would be, huh? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, you know, that question, like, yeah, if you could have a- any expense back in your life, what would it be? I think most people would probably choose alcohol just because the amount of money that's been spent on it. Um, health-wise, cigarettes are probably way, way worse. And, yeah, sure, the uh, amount of money that's just gone up in smoke there, quite literally, but got down we got down a weird rabbit hole pretty quickly <laughs> so, yep you should ask uh, lauren if he if she wants to try and not drink or smoke <clears throat> until 21 for ten thousand dollars were you paid out that that i mean did, yeah yeah well done 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So what, what was it like for your, your parents when, when that offer came around? It's like our little girl has just been offered the dream ticket, like Siberia to wherever you landed in the U.S., but with a green card. That must have been some, some very, very strange times for them, like uh, well, you know, huge amounts of emotion. They did not understand what was going on. So I did not get my green card when I was still back in Russia. Um, I finished two years of school. I was studying finance and economics in one of the best schools of Russia. And at some point, uh, so I got back after a summer and the previous, previous two semesters, I finished straight A student, like really good student. And I also won nationals for my university in sailing. So I was like, yeah, I'm definitely getting a full scholarship. All good. So my third year, I'm coming back to university in September, end of September. So I was a competition. I'm coming back and they're like, hey, we actually don't have scholarship for you. We forgot about you. We got, we ran out of quota. I'm like, what? I'm a straight aid student, professional athlete, and I'm going to pay for my school that I don't even think actually helping me. And uh, I was like, uh, not happening. So I'm on my first, first class uh, of the year and I'm Googling, um, scholarship for athletes and i was thinking maybe some local government or like somebody offers some scholarship and i get into google and the first link is scholarship for athletes in usa and the link is in russian and i'm like what is this like why why is it here and at this point i did not speak any english and i realized that like damn i I really should like put some effort into that and learn english over this year and I'm going to this link and I'm realizing that foreign students can have full scholarship in the U.S. Um, because they're athletes. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. I'm jumping on a call with this company who helps getting into local universities. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, with your results, you're totally fine. You're in a really good school in Russia. You will get a lot of credits. We can totally do the transfer. But you have to pass TOEFL exam, which is like, like university level English. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. It will take me half a year to learn the language. Don't worry about it. Which I never learned the language before, so I had no idea. But, you know, I I was very ambitious. Uh, and yeah, I called my dad. I was already living 2,000 miles away from my hometown. And I called my dad and I was like, hey, dad, I'm moving to the States. He's like, well, I'll drink for that with my friends. Because he was uh, somewhere in a hunting trip with his friends drinking. And he's like, I'll drink for that, but where where do I learn details? Should I call mom? And I'm like, nah, she doesn't know yet. I'll tell you later about it. And yeah, uh, I dropped out of my college. I went back to my hometown, uh, spent six months learning the language, and then moved to the States on a tourist visa, actually. I did not like get into universities. I was like, I'll go there and I'll figure it out from, from, from there. Uh, I got in, and then I just applied for, uh, for EB1, which is like, green card for people with extraordinary abilities and I got approved pretty quickly and ever since I did not go back to school my plans has changed quite a lot but I honestly think it was one of the best decisions in my life and I'm a definitely proud dropout yeah that's amazing and I want to I'm really trying to change that that language like dropout to opt-out because the dropout is so negative and it's their fucking language. It's their way of making you feel like you're, you're 
you're, you're failing somehow and to, it's just a trap to keep you there. But you clearly opted out. I mean, you're Googling whilst you're there ways to get out. And then you put all of the, you, you cleared the path yourself. Learning English, how did you smash that in six months? That's crazy. I've been here in France almost five years and I'm still struggling with this damn language. I honestly don't know how I got it done because I'm in Miami right now. A lot of Russian immigrants here who's been here for 10 years, not speaking the language. Uh, so what I did is I had a tutor three times a week, um, 8 a.m. for two hours. And then I basically created a bubble around myself. I was in my small hometown. All I was doing is learning English and snowboarding for six months. So I was watching American movies, American TV shows. And back then I could not really understand them. So I had like two computers next to each other. One of them was showing me the movie and another one I was like typing and translating every sentence or every word that I didn't know. And yeah, I was writing two essays a day. And like when you start writing essay, when you don't speak the language at all, and it's like hundred words of absolutely nothing. And then four months later, you like actually, you know, writing an essay about some microbiology topic. I don't know. It was really weird topics in this TOEFL exam, uh, like anthropology. I remember I was like, I didn't even know what anthropology was in Russian. Why am I supposed to write an essay on this topic? The TOEFL exam was really weird, but, um, it definitely motivated me, gave me a lot of structure to understand how to learn the language. And I learned a lot of, like, I learned music instruments before that. And I think it's like somewhat close enough like you need to start from something and have structure and just keep keep showing up um and i had pretty good memory i think so um yeah six months later i was somewhat alright. like i could already survive in miami obviously next six months in miami i also kept learning it and i still do um but now i feel quite comfortable with the language yeah it's faultless it's it's amazing well done uh, it's uh, yeah something to be very very proud of the way you've put all of this together and started to shape your own life rather than just follow this path and what was schooling like in Russia I can't imagine it would have been that kind of alternative I, I'm I you know correct me if I'm wrong but I'm kind of picturing a pretty strict regimented kind of structure it definitely is and uh I was very lucky to be born in my family. I have amazing parents uh, who gave me, like I had the happiest childhood I could ask for. Uh, like I was definitely the happiest child I know, I think, honestly. Uh, huge shout out to my parents. And I think my dad will try to listen to this pod. So <laughs> shout out to you, to you dad. And um, I, so I started sailing when I was nine and by the age, of 11, I was a national team, junior national team. So I was traveling the world a lot, living outside of my hometown a lot. And I would go to school like four months out of a year at best. And my parents, they didn't really know that, like they didn't know anything about unschooling or homeschooling, but intuitively they kind of understood that you don't really have to go to school to learn something. And I remember there were a lot of days when I would just wake up and I, like, to go to school and I was like mom I really don't feel like it she's like oh whatever don't go like stay home go go get some more sleep and she was totally fine with that so I would like not go to school a lot that's amazing yeah very few parents like that it's usually the complete opposite you've got to go you know get your shoes on brush your hair brush your teeth out the door 
and uh, you know this is what's best for you uh, because we've all been so indoctrinated to our respective states that it's um, man it's it's so toxic I want to do you mind if we geek out a little bit on on sailing because it's really interesting that um, <laughs> like you say you only had access to a lake for what three or four months a year I think you said mm-hmm. yeah but yet you make it to the the highest echelons of of that sport how <laughs> like you know that's that's pretty nuts if you think about it because yeah. some people would be sailing all year round yeah and it was interesting to me uh we kept analyzing like my, my coach I had an absolutely amazing coach uh, who was actually a financial analyst or uh, a family office in my hometown. But then he was very passionate about sailing and he would teach me how to sail. And he was always amazed how in the spring, so uh, we got out of winter, I did not sail during the winter, I was snowboarding. And we got out of, of winter, I'm going to the first competition of the spring, somewhere on the south of Russia. And I win this competition. I'm like much better than other kids. So like I was growing during the time I did not sail just because I kept analyzing my previous races. And that's what I do in life right now. Like n- now I consciously understand that that's how my mind works. I can live through the same moment multiple times and like understand what I did wrong and what I did well. And that's what I kept doing during the winter. I remember how before I go to bed, I'm 11 years old. I remember my last sales or my, my last races. And I would like, okay, so I remember where, like, what was the wind like? I remember where I went, what kind of mistakes I did. I remember, like, the positioning of all other sailboats of my competitors. And, like, I would just kept analyzing it. You know, um, there is this movie, uh, the TV show on Netflix chess girl yeah what's the name of it i know the one you're talking uh, about I Queen's Gambit. Think... yes Queen's Gambit. was that yes. you so like she was going to bed and imagining all those games in her head and that was exactly me with my sailing races when i was watching this tv show i was like yep i totally feel your girl uh so yeah that's that's probably was my like weapon back then analyzing everything as a child it's it's not that common so the, 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 the setup then, as you were explaining to Lauren, it's um, a match. So you've got to get from point A to point B in the, in the quickest time. Is that correct? Across the same course? Well, there's a distance. So there is a start line. Then you go around the first buoy, second buoy, then around first one again, and then you finish downwind. Is this the same kind of setup as the America's Cup? Uh, it depends, Yes. Uh, I think America's Cup is the same right now. So what fascinates me is what separates the people? Like, because you're all on the same water. You're all in the same boats. You've all got the same wind. You've all got the same sail surface area. What makes someone like you better than anyone else? Or to use the example... Um, it was like a handful of years ago where Ben Ainsley switched teams on the Americans on the America's Cup. They were like eight nil down or something, and they won nine eight. I'm like, how the fuck does that happen? Where's the marginal gain? Like, what makes someone, you know, can can you like um, for the casual observer? I I can't figure it out, but I love digging into this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 
So in my kind of races, in my tracing, we were even given exactly the same boats. So the organizing committee would give six boats that are exactly the same, and you would just pick a number of a boat out of a hat to see which one you're sailing today. So there was no difference there. So it's not like a form- Formula One is how you call it, when it's like mm-hmm. the more money you put in, the better your the better your car goes. It's like quite fair. And then where the margins grow is good question. So every move of of your i'm so bad at terminology in english so let's say every little turn every couple degrees kind of stop your boat but at the same time wind keeps changing every few seconds so like the direction and now let's say you're going upwind right you cannot go exactly upwind you have to go sideways all the time and different boats go a different degree to the upwind. So it can be like 28 degrees, 42 degrees, etc. So now you need to find, you know, there is a speed and there is how high you can go upwind. And now you have to find a perfect point on this chart of like the highest, the higher speed, the, the, le- the, the, the lower is degree of you to go upwind. So now you have to go bigger, di- higher, like longer distance, but with a higher speed. Or you can go a smaller distance with a slower speed. So now you have to find what is the perfect um, perfect recipe for for the win. All of it, of course, a lot of strategy because, um, for example, on my lake, the wind would change drastically every couple of minutes. And there would be one side of the lake that is more windy than another. So you start reading clouds to understand which side is more windy. And like by looking at the cloud, you can actually understand sometimes what direction the wind is going to change. Uh, so like right now I'm looking at Miami and I always understand if, what, if the rain is going to come or not, how, how windy it is just by looking outside of my window. So a lot of those skills are still good for me in life. And uh, recently I, my American friends keep, uh, keep wondering about this one. But like I'm looking at the sun, the horizon before the sunset, and I do something like you know measure with my finger, etc. And I can tell them exactly what time it is, and I nailed it down perfectly a few times. And they were like, "How did you do that?" But for me as a sailor, it's like you have to know that because if you don't make it home until sunset, like you're fucked up. So uh, all those good skills, uh, very helpful still in life, even though I don't sail that much anymore. Can you read the water as well? Or is that, is it just... No, absolutely, absolutely. By the water, like, I could probably teach you how to read water in no time. It's actually quite easy. Um, like, you you look where it's more choppy. It's kind of a little darker on the side where it's, like, more wind. And it, it's moving also. So by by the way it's moving, you can see if the direction of the, of the wind is going to change in this choppy water or not. Uh, it's pretty interesting, I think. I think those are good skills that um, I don't need every day, but once in a while, it, it's cool to have. Yeah, it's crazy. When when I love learning about people's uh, craft and, and how minuscule you can go to find that, that marginal gain because that is what wins you championships at the end of the day, right? On, yeah. on any, any discipline, any sport at all. True. And, you know, if shit hits the fan, I'll sail all the Bitcoiners out of the United States. So, might need oh, a skill Oh, don't again. take it. <laughs> no voting accidents. Yeah, we'd be in the safest hands with, with Katie at the helm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and as well, it wasn't lost on me that the, uh, the, the name of your first boat was Optimist. 
does that sit yeah. with you still to this day? Like, you know, since finding really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that how you feel about Bitcoin? I mean, how how did you find Bitcoin? Let's let's do the rabbit hole story. I feel like uh, all the experiences in life brought me to that. I'm, I'm super thankful for all that. Like I was born in Russia, a post-communist country. And over the last 20 years, I experienced hyperinflation multiple times. So like I know what sound money is now because I've been to unsound money so much. And actually, one, one time I remember I went to Spain for World Cup and I spent there 40 days. All my savings were in euros, uh, in rubles, sorry. And I was in a country where we spent euros. And during the time that I was in Spain, the whole Crimea crisis started and the Russian ruble dropped 50% of its value compared to euro. And I'm in Spain, I'm 50% poorer, I don't even have enough money to like, complete my trip and like what is going on and I was already in finance and economics school and I like I had a for my macroeconomics class and I'm like I cannot explain this shit like what did you guys teach me that I cannot understand where it's coming from and the whole geopolitical bullshit uh, obviously plays a huge game in fiat currencies so that was another point that I was like I'm learning something in school that I cannot apply in real life. So what's the point? Yeah. What were they teaching you? What, did you remember any of those lessons? Like the, the, the stuff that you had to sit through, listen to that flapping head at the front of the class, tell you how it is. And Yeah, I remember there were still a couple of interesting classes. Like funny enough, corporate finance was really fascinating for me. We had like actual case study um, challenges classes where we were like, try to solve the problem of a corporation and figure all that out, which I'm definitely applying in real life as of this day. Uh, but macroeconomics, well, we, we all learned that Keynesian kind of stuff. And it was like, yeah, it all makes sense in a book, but then, but then it shouldn't make sense. Like it shouldn't how it shouldn't be the way. And once you learn the way you're like, Oh, why did I even waste my time learning that? Yeah, precisely. So how did you find it? Who introduced you, first of all, to, to Bitcoin? Um, well, I was just, you know, hearing it from different uh, different angles. And uh, I, I like how Al, uh, I listened to your pod with him. He keeps talking about this three, three touches. And uh, so we are all immigrants in the States. We're trying to figure out how to survive in a new world for us and like how to make money and like, you know, everybody's looking into different gambles, hustles and all that stuff. And then it was probably the third point when I hear about Bitcoin from the shadiest person I knew back then. Like he, I had zero trust in this person. He's like, yeah, Bitcoin is the thing. And I'm like, okay, explain me why it is. And uh, back in, in school, in economics school, I was specializing in financial, like Ponzi schemes, pyramids and all that stuff. So the way he explained it, I was like, yep. This is it. This is another one because he he just sucked at it. Uh, but then a few months later, somebody else said it again. I was like, okay, this time I'm actually going to learn. I'm going to read on it. And I went for a local meetup here in Miami. And I was like, okay, those people does not like do not seem like scammers. Let's try to figure that out. Uh, and then one day something really weird happened. I went back to my um, 
language school here in Miami just to visit my teacher and like say thank you and you know just just hang out and I met this Russian girl who was like running around the language school crying and I was like dude what's up what's going on she's like well I had this host family they kind of kicked me out because like something's going on they're moving and I have nowhere to leave so I was just like okay I'll help you I have a place to stay Uh, I have a car I'll move your stuff don't worry about it so for just a couple weeks I helped her out and then like I shared with her that I'm doing some like I'm trying to figure out what this Bitcoin thing is. And a few months later, she reaches out to me and she's like, Katie, I'm actually a producer of this TV channel uh, in Russia. And this uh, Russian like cryptocurrency fund is uh, going to New York and they need somebody to translate. And I'm like, I'm learning English 10 months at this point, maybe a little more like 10 to 11. I'm like, sure, I'll be translator. No worries. Like, of course I can do that. So um, they actually paid for my trip to New York for a little like 250 people conference that was there. And there was like, it was already 2017, a lot of shitcoinery going on. But uh, like somehow I talked to a couple of people that actually were very reasonable for 2017. And they were like, hey, just read Mastering Bitcoin and uh, that's how you start. I'm like, okay, this is the actual information. And my English was still not good enough back then. But, you know, I managed to figure out how to read this book. And ever since, you know, the journey started. So you're trying to get through Andreas's book with limited English. But something keeps making you turn the page, right? That that there must have been... Absolutely. It made, it made a lot of sense for me. I mean, <clears throat> being disagreeable the way I am and my whole family is like I was my, my family is definitely libertarian without like knowing the term. And uh, my dad used to be a prosecutor of my town when I was born and then he resigned because he was not happy with the system and he realized that he cannot change it or even participate in it. So I was already on point with that. Then I've seen the whole geopolitical fiat bullshit. Uh, so I was like, okay, the limited supply thing makes sense. And for like, it was already pictured in my mind as fuck you money. And it's like, this is how we get rid of banks and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, I like this whole protest kind of mentality. Let's learn about it. And in a lot of cases, like, I don't know what was happening back then to my mind. Probably like going through immigration kind of brings down your ambitions because you're getting crushed on every step. So I was like, yeah, I'm probably not smart enough to understand it all, but I'm just going to try hard. And I think that's, well, I think that's how a lot of people enter Bitcoin space. And then, like, you figure it out. It takes time. It's it's a learning curve. But I just want everybody to believe that, yeah, you can learn that. Like, you can understand that. It's not rocket science. And you don't even have to understand how SHOT-E56 work, but you can understand why it makes sense and why it's valuable. So what was crushing you through the immigration process, which you just talked about? Yeah, actually, lately I've been I've been thinking about it a lot. I believe in this uh, concept of decompression. It's basically it takes about two to three years to get out of something hard. And I think at this point, I'm like cleaning out of this decompression state because and realizing how hard the immigration was. So. I moved here on a tourist visa. I'm not allowed to work. I have not much savings at all. Like basically I had enough money to buy a super cheap car 
and pay for a month of my stay here in Miami. And that's about it. Uh, that's what I moved here with. And now I have to figure out how to make money in a country whose language I don't speak, whose paperwork I don't have. Uh, and then other immigrants also like try to take advantage of you, uh, give you jobs for $7 an hour and all that stuff. And then you need to pay thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to lawyers just to get this uh, green card because it's still like I would not be able to figure it out um, by the time I got in. And then so I got approved, pre-approved for my green card. And then my lawyer, she got the last payment and she disappeared. Absolutely. Doesn't answer my phone calls, doesn't answer my emails. I have no idea where I'm in the process. By this time, my English was already better. So I started uh, just calling immigration services the whole time. And that's probably what brought me to my business now. Because like now I had to complete my immigration by myself, being a 21-year-old. I was 22 at this point, probably. 22-year-old girls in the States. And they lost my green card. They lost my social security number for a year and a half. So instead of getting all this paperwork done after half a year moving, like, in the states I got it two years later and this whole thing was such a pain in the ass it was really hard um yeah it was it was just hard on mental for mental health too so I definitely became became less ambitious for some time and I was just trying to trying to stay calm and just be reasonably happy uh at where I was uh yeah and now now I'm definitely much more happier and much more confident in everything I do. Wow, that's that's nuts. And I, I remember seeing a a tweet from you, something along the lines of, because now you're back in Miami, but it was something along the lines of, I never thought I'd ever live in Miami again. I never thought I'd come back to this place. But, wow, here I am. So what's the story there? Yeah, definitely. When I, when I left, I just became a Bitcoiner and I just started my business. And I realized that now I can uh, work out of anywhere. So I got into my car and I drove all the way from Miami to San Francisco. Solo tripped. Um, and then I solo tripped back to Houston. I was So I spent the last three and a half years living in Airbnbs all over, including Mexico mostly. Um, and when I, left, uh, when I left South Florida, I was like, okay, this place associates for me with uh, immigration uh, it doesn't seem like it's the right place for me. People here don't really care about like education or anything interesting. They only care about like beach and looking good at the beach, and that's about it. And I was like, nah, never coming back. And now I'm back as a completely different person. Uh, first of all, I'm no longer an immigrant. I feel very comfortable with local culture, local language, uh, my business, everything. So I don't have the same problems as I had three and a half years ago. As well as uh, I was trying to run away from the whole immigrant community because I was afraid that it would suck me, suck me in and I would stay immigrant for the rest of my life like a lot, a lot of people do here. Like I have friends who've been here for 14 years and they call me so I could help them with doctor appointment translation. And I'm like, dude, you've been here for 14 years. Like you don't need my help. You should, you should be good by now. Uh, so I, I didn't want that. I definitely wanted to like acquire culture, acquire language, acquire the the way business works here in the states. And now I got back with all this knowledge, and I'm like I appreciate the beach so much. I appreciate the ocean. I appreciate my immigration like immigrant community so much right now because I started losing Russian like 
I, I barely use it these days, only like to talk to my mom and my dad. And now I'm so happy to see all this Russian people around talking to me in my native language, giving me music from here, like teaching Russian dancing here and all that cool stuff. I really enjoy it now. Are you getting some Russian food? A lot of Russian food here. So much, yeah. I'm like in the Russian uh, city here in Miami. It's called Sunny Isles. And we have four Russian restaurants, two Russian supermarkets here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. All I'm right, a sell, home cooking advocate, though, but... Still. Sell me a dish. Sell me a dish. What's 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 the Russian... Uh, you, the you'll be surprised, but uh, this bread soup, we call it borscht. Borscht, like, My of American course. friends love it. Absolutely love it. And I, I cook it here, like, at least once a month. And, like, for me, it's normal dish. But when I invite my American friends to try it, they're, like, in love with that. And uh, so I decided to host like Russian dinners once in a while and invite people for borscht. That's awesome. So let's talk about your business because this is what people are going to be interested in, especially Bitcoiners. So tell everybody, well, give us the pitch, like, you know, what, what brought you to, to do what you do? Yeah, so the same experiences that brought me to Bitcoin brought me to the flag theory, right? Uh, so, you know, my story of immigration now and before that, uh, Russian passport is not very powerful in terms of visa-free travel. So even as a like, member of Russian national team, I would need to go to Spain or Switzerland for Europe Cup or World Cup, and I would have visa issues. Like I would get denied in visas and then I would have to fly to another country to try to get visa through them. And like it was such a big pain in the ass. And I was always the one who got unlucky with visas somehow. So... Um, I hated that. I hated that I have so many, many limitations on my Russian passport and that I went through immigration and I was like, okay, wait, so I don't have to like be Russian for the rest of my life. Like I can, I'm a citizen of the world and all that stuff. Um, then on top of it, you become disagreeable. You become like not a fan of, of the state, any state, actually, not not just Russian government, not the U.S. government, but any government. You just don't like the structure. And you're like, I don't want to be dependent on any of them. And then you read Sovereign Individual and you're like, oh, that's what's up. The, the nation states are actually going to like, there's going to be a fall of nation state. And they're going to compete for my wealth, for my labor and uh, for fruits of my labor. So let's build a free market. And uh, that's how I, you know, started learning about the flag theory. And by my definition, the idea behind the concept of flag theory is to limit your dependency on any one particular state uh, by stacking flags, stacking paperwork from different jurisdictions that might benefit you in different ways. Your lifestyle, better regulations for your business, um, more visa-free travel um, around the world, and, you know, I love it. Like, that's freedom. How did you fall into this? Like, what books were you reading about flag theory or blogs or you know, YouTube videos? So, again, I absolutely intuitively started playing this game of flag theory. For example, uh, when I would get pulled over here in the States and I still like because they lost my green card, they lost my social security number, I could not renew my driver license. So I was like on expired driver license all, all around getting pulled over. And you can play a Russian card. Or like in Mexico, I was always like, no habla español, no habla inglés, solamente ruso. And uh, the Russian card would be pretty pretty well played. Um, 
it worked out well for me in many cases. And then my dad would do the same with his Florida license plate, a uh, Florida driver license in Russia. Like my dad back then did not speak a single word of English, basically. And he's getting pulled over in my hometown. He's like American citizen and gives them his Florida driver license. And they're like, what? And they obviously let him go. So I'm like, okay, so you can like play the options if you have those. And then I've met um, another immigrant here in Miami who was already doing the passport business. And uh, I was already a Bitcoiner. And he was like, Katie, like I, I've got a lot of clients who are trying to pay with Bitcoin thingy. And I have no idea what that is. Can you help me with that? And I'm like, I gotcha. I gotcha. And uh, after that, he was like, yeah, you should like, you should just start your own company doing the same thing as I do. And he's working for Russian, um, like Russian speaking uh, communities around the world. And, uh, you know, I just started doing the same just for English speaking audience. So dangle the carrot. Where should we be looking as Bitcoiners? Because we're all sick and tired of everything you just described. And we're sick and tired of uh, this house arrest we've all been forced under uh, around the world, you know, more harshly in some places than others. And people just want to get on the move and start living their lives again and, you know, be self-sovereign and look at the different options that are available. So what have you found? What little gems have you found and what can you share with people? At the beginning of my uh, Plan B passport journey, I was working with 30 plus different jurisdictions. And now I basically brought it down to seven. So I work with five Caribbean islands, St. Kitts, Antigua, Dominica, Grenada, and St. Lucia, as well as I work with Vanuatu, an island next to Australia, and Portugal. Um, the, reason I behind, uh, the reason I decided to stick with this is, first of all, the tax regime. All those are well-known tax havens. So they offer zero capital gains tax, zero global income tax, zero inheritance tax, so exactly like we don't want to fund the terrorism, so we opting out. And then um, they also offer citizenship by investment. Another reason why I stick with those. Uh, so now you don't have to move there. You don't have to reside on the island or even visit the island. And you just go over the process like completely remotely. You donate hundred or $150,000 in sustainable growth fund of the nation. And five months later, you got a passport. Now you just, obviously, a lot of strategy comes with that. Just like there is no perfect security model for your Bitcoin, there is no uh, one recipe for, for everyone uh, in terms of passports. But you need to understand what your goals and needs are, what your family situation is like, um, and just you know play your cards right. You might want to become a non-tax resident of your home country, you might want to live a nomad lifestyle for some time. You might have to have a couple of home bases to have to like to take a full advantage of tax haven passport. But at the same time, a lot of my clients just want to have a plan B. And the reason I, I called my company like this is like you want to have a second option. You want to have choices because choices are freedom. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's. What I think is is imp like I think it's important for every Bitcoiner to know about that stuff. Like we keep talking about sixty one oh two, right? And like we know Bitcoin is unconfiscatable. However, they do uh, they do a really great job enforcing stupid laws, and they do a pretty good job uh, making 
like political prisoners cases. So we just sometimes you just want to have this extra paper in your pocket just to be able to flee the country if necessary. Like you might not have to play this card ever. Like same with carrying guns. You might not need this gun ever, but it's good to have. You just said something. I'm going to butcher the, the term you used, but you want to become a tax haven. Haven resident within your own country. I think you said something on. Uh, how does that work? How, how do you, how do you stay? Because a lot of people they they love the idea, but then what shuts them down is the the thought of leaving friends or family, or perhaps uh, the spouse doesn't want to go, or the you know the the kids don't want to leave. You know, there's like you said, different situations. But that's interesting. How do you become a non a non paying tax resident within your own country? I think is what you said. Yeah, non tax resident of your home country. Yeah. Right. So. Interestingly enough, United States does not have this option. Uh, United States has unique feature to its passport called citizenship-based taxation. No matter where you live, where your com- where your income comes from, you have to file the scribbles in the states. But uh, UK, Canada, Australia—they all have a process of becoming non-tax resident. I usually call it as like you're pitching yourself to your local IRS as a non-tax resident like hey look i do not look i do not use local banks my i had the property i either rented it out or i sold it i don't use your healthcare benefits i don't take any benefits from you anymore so why would i contribute to that and in most cases you have to move out of your country and prove like show them that hey look i got same kids passport that's where i'm gonna pay taxes from now on but obviously you don't pay there because you don't even file there. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> All right, this is definitely getting interesting. I'm sure people are getting very fired up. So here's here's one thing. The fear people feel or this fixed mindset that you come up against. Um, so if someone wants to consider doing this, the first thing they've got to get over in many cases, especially for older generations, is this like name calling of tax dodger. Hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't be offended. <laughs> I mean... Nor me. But people, people, are, they, they, it's almost they, they, they take it personally. If, if they know for a fact that you're somehow in their eyes scheming and dodging the system and you're not paying tax then you're a bad person you're almost a criminal in 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 some people's eyes it's crazy yeah it's absolutely crazy and like you're saying it is kind of a reminder that those those people exist because they're not part of my life anymore um i had a unique situation where i like left all my friends behind in russia i obviously still have some of them but like i had to build a new community and my community consists of out of libertarians that didn't that believe taxation is tough believe that sound money is the thing uh it's the way and uh yeah we we don't believe in nation states and we don't believe in governments so i don't hear it much and uh I would be happy to talk to any of those people who call you, call me a tax dodger, uh, I guess you said, because I think I can make a very clear case on why taxation is funding terrorism and why uh, 
why they don't really need taxation to begin with. Like, what um, I, I actually tried to do some calculation and figure out how much of American budget actually made off of taxes, and it was like between six and twelve percent. And it's like, sure, uh-huh, it's it's because that's the price we pay for civilized society, as they say, but it's actually a control mechanism. They do not need this money, but they need to keep you in fear, and the only way to keep you in fear is like, hey, follow this, or you're gonna be in trouble. So, like, it's only for control, and I don't want, I don't want people to control me. Uh, I'm a sovereign, damn it, individual. I hear you. I really do. And when, when, when we when I get into discussions with with people about this, it's like you know, all of a sudden they get angry that oh, did you see like in the news you know such and such politician apparently has all of his money tied up in the Cayman Islands or wherever else or you know I'm like yeah you think like you like who do you think writes these policies in and who do you think they benefit so why the hell shouldn't you it's it's unbelievably you know, but the the sheep and herd mentality is so damn deep. It runs so deep in people. And we were talking about this earlier, like, um, you know, uh, it, it all gets linked back to, um, you know, when you're growing up, when you're little. Uh, school is obedience control. It's just your whole life. And when you step out of that and you look at it objectively, like you have and like many of the Bitcoiners have, for whatever reason, has brought them to this space, you just suddenly start questioning everything. What what else have you found, like, uh, to be a complete lie in in your life, or something that you've just like you wish you could help your friends or family understand? Definitely the the health stuff. Oh, that was huge. Um, so I was a professional athlete. I thought I was right. extremely healthy. I had checkups every six months all my blood work all, all my stuff and then i was like okay one thing happened to be wrong in my body i'm gonna change it i went to doctors i started doing what they told me to and i completely fucked myself up and uh it took me quite a few years to get out of it and uh like bitcoin was definitely uh, definitely played a big role in that because i basically fixed it with low carbs, uh, high fat diet, which is like keto and stuff, uh, and intermittent fasting. Um, but then like, I realized if I did not find it, I would be fucked up for the rest of my life. Like this is not good. And the whole healthcare system is so bad, um, that I decided to completely opt out. I do a lot of my own research. I do a lot of weird things that people find like sometimes interesting or sometimes, um, absolutely wild. And I, I actually um, built Take us down the wild path. This... Take us down the wild path. Come on, let's go. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm building something uh, for for mental and physical health uh, uh-huh. right now. It, it's probably coming out in the next, next couple of months. But um, I think, like, back a couple of steps back when you say that, the, like, it's all control, they want us to be traumatized, they want us to be unhealthy. That's how they get us dependable on them, on their system. So throughout the throughout the school, they bring a bunch of insecurities in you, and now you fall into this mental socialism game where you're like, I'm the I'm a victim, and I need all of you to like 
to tell me that I'm a poor girl, that you will help me out and all that stuff. So like, instead of relying on yourself, you're now dependable on the state, you're dependable on people around you, you're building a family unit in codependent relationship that is not going to work out. Now you have next generation, your kids that are also fucked up and insecure. And it's like a terrible, terrible downhill, uh, endless process of just like becoming dependable on every aspect of your life in every aspect of your life. So, um, I'm personally working with counselor, like coaching, uh, and like psychologist every Monday, two to three hours. And I think every Bitcoiner should do that. I think every person in the world should do that because this is amazing. I'm probably like, I'm extremely happy. And, um, even though my life was like still full of, um, full of exciting things, like I run business, I build other stuff. Um, well, I think I'm, I'm the happiest person I know sometimes. Well, most of the days I feel like I'm the happiest person I know. And obviously I can't look into everybody's head, but that, that's how I feel. I'm absolutely feeling blessed. Um, because I was able to get out of the sloop of like, poor me and I need all of your help. Um, same with physical health. Like they want you to go into like into the doctor's office every now and then. They want you to take this vaccine and that vaccine. And then they want you to get on pills. Oh, and by the way, if you started getting being on those pills, you will have to do it for the rest of your life. And the number of pills will just grow. It will never stop. And now you're like, Jesus, like you're absolutely unsovereign because you need this pill and then you need this vaccine. And now you need the, like you need them to take care of you because you're absolutely unsovereign. What was the, if you don't mind sharing, when you look back, um, it blows my mind that, you know, you think as a professional athlete, you are at the cutting edge of nutrition, of doing good shit for your body, right? You know, because it's, it's your coach's job to be able to get the absolute best performance out of you and to make sure your muscles are working in tandem with your body and whatever else, and you're getting the right amount of sleep and the right amount of protein, the right amount of minerals and whatever. What what started breaking down in your body? What, what kind of, like, uh, what was the red flag for you? I was still looking like a professional athlete. Uh, I was extremely strong. I could squat a lot. I could run a lot. So, like, my performance was somewhat all right, but I could definitely do better if I knew better back then. Uh, my diet looked like absolutely very, very low fat, high protein diet. So I did a lot of chicken breast and all that stuff. I, I don't remember when last time I ate chicken breast now. Um, and then um, every morning I would eat oatmeal because that's what they do with dairy. That is terrible quality. And I'm, like now looking back, I'm like, Jesus, that was so bad. How did I even perform? But obviously I was, I was a young, young child. Um, you know, you still have uh, a lot of fuel to burn. Uh, and then, um, just few things in my hormone profile started to go down and I realized that it's not okay. And obviously I was a little overperforming probably when I started sailing, I was 22 kilos and all my, all the other kids in my class were 40 kilos. So like it was kind of a lot for for a child of this age, but I I'm competitive as fuck. I still am. So I did not take it as a as a disadvantage, and I just kept going. 
So maybe maybe professional sport uh, also kind of left a little bad. Um, how do you like? It, it wasn't perfect for a child of this age, let's say. And you, you mentioned it earlier in the um, in the chat about Al, and I know you're a you're a big dirtbag. Big dirtbag. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I'm glad you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yep. Shout out to all the dirtbags, my favorite tribe. So yeah, you. I know you're a, you're a big fan of, of that group and you're a big personality in that group. So it'd be remiss of me to ask you about the dirtbags and, and who they are and, and, and what they mean to you. Oh, this is a family. This is my tribe for sure. You know how throughout times you, you keep fighting your tribe uh, and you like discovering more and more people. And uh, this group came out of nowhere. Uh, well, you know the story of Al, how he showed up on Twitter, and at some point I, I just tweeted at him, I was like, I have no idea who's behind this account, but you've been really growing on me. <laughs> he, he was putting a lot of uh, weird jokes there. So, and then he started Dirtbag Friday, and I was on the very first one. It was like five of us, I think. And uh, I went to the first one. I was still living in Mexico, so not many English-speaking people out there. And ever since, uh, I remember I did not skip a single dirtbag in the first 45 weeks. And I was like, damn it, it, it tells a lot about my social life since 45 Fridays I spent on a Zoom call with all of you dirtbags. But uh, we became a family for sure. Like first it was just Zoom calls throughout the pandemic. But then, you know, we had the plebs giving, which is like Thanksgiving in Arkansas with a bunch of dirtbags. And then we had New Year's together in Colorado. And then we went again for Powder Maximalist trip, which is a snowboarding trip. So now I feel like they're my real friends. Like I know them quite well. I know about their life. I know their struggles, their, uh, their happiness, happy moments. And uh, yeah, it's been an absolutely amazing journey. I'm very thankful for this tribe. It's amazing you guys have been able to mix this, you know, and, and meet in real life. It, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very envious of I want to bring my whole family across to the conference in Miami, which I'm, of course, you will be there. Uh, in fact, I saw you. Are you still looking for a goalkeeper? For your yes, <laughs> I still do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Toxic ladies uh, playing soccer. <laughs> but yeah, and here we are. the The borders to uh, European visitors are still closed. It's yeah, crazy. you would have to fly down somewhere to like Mexico or Costa Rica for two weeks and then come up to Miami. That would be your way to getting in. Or maybe St. Lucia and go and get myself a passport with, totally, with your help. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you do family discounts or is that 150 grand per head? Uh, no, it's actually, for example, St. Kitts right now has a um, COVID special program where they let family of four go for the same price as single applicant. So that would be like $180,000 for the whole family, including all the fees, due diligence fees, my legal fees, everything. I got an extra two kids, so I either bring them or leave them behind. But well, you've met Lauren, so you're kind of probably fond of her, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't have to even visit the island to get the passport. That's yeah. crazy. So you can just do all of that remotely via you and your service. Um, yep, absolutely. All online through Signal, we're going to communicate all the paperwork, 
we're gonna submit the applications for you and then uh, three like three months later you will actually get the pre-approval letter and only that's when you, you actually submit the donation so like uh, to initiate the process takes about twenty thousand dollars and then at the very last step of the process you pay the donation and two weeks later you get the passport in the mail and you accept bitcoin oh yeah <laughs> so now the the question people are kind of probably asking themselves is would i pay in fiat or would i pay in bitcoin oh yeah everybody's trying to time the market because like when do i sell or do i sell at all or do i keep stacking and then later on i'll spend my fiat on on password uh, i also started like telling people hey you can always do like btc back loan with unchained and get that going on which a lot of people use this uh, this um, trick that's only available in the states i think at the moment i, I interviewed uh, joe kelly the other day and i think the loan is still to us guys i'm not sure if that's i right. think they can work with a couple more jurisdictions according to my knowledge they can work with pretty much every english-speaking country so the idea there is you place your bitcoin in collateral you take yeah. the loan and then depending on the price action of bitcoin you're either going to get called or left alone and yeah it's interesting mm -hmm. and there's only going to be more and more of these services coming out so yeah, right now the rate sounds pretty weird, like pretty crazy. I believe it's something like between nine and twelve percent for for the loan, but at the same time, the uh, how do you call this interest? Mm, opportunity cost. Yeah, that's what it is. So yeah. you don't want to sell two bitcoins to buy a password, but you can collateralize for bitcoin and get a loan and then pay it back and keep all your bitcoin. Which is like, okay, the 9% a year sounds crazy, but the opportunity cost that I might, like, I might miss the boat out quite a lot more than 9%. So are you hosting something extra before the conference? I know you were kind of thinking about doing a, uh, a little workshop on something. Yeah. So on June 2nd, we signed up for this soccer game. And only later on, I realized that the next, the very next morning, I'm hosting like 300 people conference. I'm like, geez, okay, you got it, Katie. Um, I'm hosting underground Citadel event. And it's like off grid on conference, um, as I want to call it. So nobody knows where it's going to take place. I'm going to send the address uh, 12 to 24 hours prior to the event. And it's basically all things a Bitcoiner need to know outside of Bitcoin. So things like 3D printing for guns, unschooling. Uh, I'm going to be talking about passports. Uh, there will be uh, Dr. Bitcoin MD talking about the health um, and, you know, all this good stuff. Like all the rabbit holes that are aligned with Bitcoiners philosophy. But I'm not going to compete with Bitcoin conference. So it's like all the things around it. And uh, you know what's interesting? So the only way to buy a ticket, which is $21, the only way to buy a ticket is Lightning. And so many people reached out to me and were like, so can I pay on-chain? I'm like, nope, uh-uh, not happening. Lightning only. And uh, so many people then thanked me for like, okay, this was my very first touch with Lightning. I really appreciate you incentivizing it. I was like, hell yeah. 
This is funny. I had this exact same conversation with Paul last night from Sphinx. And he he was telling me the story about his first touch with Bitcoin was lightning. Oh, wow. And he's like, think about like the next wave, Dan. I'm like, yeah, it it makes so much sense. This it, That is going to be so many people's first touch, especially when I look at my kids. That's like maybe the on-chain guys we've kind of we're all, we're all set yeah i think anybody it's coming in anybody coming in over the next two to four years are going to be looking a lot closer at lightning and i'm going to start using lightning to show noobs how you know what bitcoin can do and what bitcoin is just by having them download a lightning wallet and then just ping them some some sats i, I wouldn't do that on chain obviously but i can yep. do that now on lightning and that's going to pill so many people so this is very interesting turning point i think in the narrative and the future of bitcoin yeah especially now when we're back to 2017 and talking how all those other blockchains are faster and cheaper and like i had this exact conversation with my crossfit coach i was like can i pay you in like uh in bitcoin she's like no you need to pay me in xrp it's faster and cheaper (laughs) and like my mind just blew up. I didn't hear it in like three years and now they're bad. And I'm like, geez, okay, have you heard of Lightning? And she had no idea it exists. So I feel like we're not doing a great job like at, you know, talking noobs through Lightning and like they just don't know it exists at all. They only know about 10 minutes block and, you know, quite quite a mempool these days. So, yeah. Uh, I had the same uh, with, with my personal trainer. I'm like, can I pay you in Bitcoin? He's like, oh, you know, I, I buy some Bitcoin and uh, I've got this, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we went through the whole thing. I'm like, right, okay, we need to shift your wallets about and make sure you're doing it properly. Uh, but that was 14, 15 months ago. Lightning didn't cross my mind. If I was having that same conversation now, it'd be like, man, download Wallet of Satoshi. I'll pay you each month in, in SATs. Or yep. you know, each session in sats and um, it, it would be so much easier. I paid my Muay Thai coach in sats. I paid my counselor in sats and they were like both blown away because like they always heard about Bitcoin. They thought it was extremely tough, like extremely hard, ununderstandable basically. And I was like, no, 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 let's download it together. Like get the wallet. I'm sending you sats. And they were super happy to like just accept Bitcoin for thing they like they did the job so they didn't have to like spend real money for this weird magical internet money but now they have it so uh it was really good good moment for both of them they were very happy so i'm gonna i'm always trying to pay everybody in bitcoin as many people as i can which wallet do you try and get them to download depending on their their device or mostly blue wallet Mm -hmm. i i don't know i felt like it's very easy for noobs to get on board through blue wallet and it has both on-chain and lightning, um, non-custodial on-chain and custodial lightning. And I think that's fine. Yeah, it's a great it's a great app for sure. Katie, um, people listening to this are going to be thinking, does she have a boyfriend? Well, yes, I do. Very recently, I've met somebody uh, and uh, it's been a magical moment. Uh, and it's been it's been a pretty cool journey ever since she's blushing ladies and gentlemen is it a <laughs> is it a fellow dirtbag 
not exactly, but a dirtbag <laughs> introduced me to him. So, did you have to orange pill him, or did he come prepackaged? Yeah, he definitely came prepackaged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's excellent because that would have been uh, an interesting first date. Oh, okay. If we're going back uh, into the first dates and how I orange pill people, I bet there are so many Tinder matches that will be like, oh, this Katie chick from Tinder really changed my life. Because with so many matches, like I would have something like sound money or sovereignty in my Tinder profile, and they would start asking about it, and I would be like, dude, this is the shit. And like I barely actually went on any Tinder dates, but I've orange filled so many people through that. So I, I, I'm pretty sure there are quite a few people out there thanking me for that much. I had no idea there were you know Bitcoiners Tinder lurking. I knew Twitter lurking was a thing, but Tinder lurking is a whole new world. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't worth it. <laughs> waste of time. Huge waste of time. But at least, you know, I got quite a few noobs, orange peel people. Let, let's. It, it was good for them, uh, and it was quite an experience for me. Brilliant. So do you still, uh, do, do your parents get to visit you in Miami? Well, it must have been uh, pretty tough, obviously, in the last year or so with, with COVID. I actually haven't seen my parents in almost two years, which doesn't feel like it because uh, I'm pretty close with my parents. They're absolutely awesome people, and uh, like we keep we keep up on on a video calls and stuff. And before that, I was in Mexico, so they never came over there. They they used to spend a lot of time in Miami just to come visit me, uh, but now I'm going to Russia for the first time in five years this summer. And like I could not find a reason to go there, but now my best friend is getting married, so I'm like, okay, finally I'm going back. Um, so I'm gonna go visit. They still live in Siberia. That's gonna be amazing. I hope you have a great time. And it, you said earlier your dad might be listening to this, so uh, <laughs> hello, hello uh, to, to your dad. And uh, did he just find out you had a boyfriend? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> they, they actually met over video call too. All right, well, I've got to ask you the final question, Katie. If you had one orange pill left to give, who would you give it to and why? I would give it to somebody who needed, needs it the most. So uh, I absolutely love how I take Uber here in Miami and every Uber driver is from Venezuela. And like my Spanish sucks, but it's good enough to like explain that Bitcoin is reasonable and why it is. So I would want to give it to somebody who needs it the most so people from post-communist country from countries with like crazy hyperinflation because uh like influencers and those big shots uh they don't really need it bitcoin is for uh those who need it the most and i don't have a particular particular person in mind but somebody who needs it the most what's um well, what's the best way for people to, to reach out and find out about your business? Because what we were talking about, I think, is going to really interest a lot of people. So let's make sure we give the deserved shill for, for what you're trying to do and, and how you're trying to serve the community. Appreciate it, yeah. So Katie, the Russian on Twitter, DMs are open, uh, happy to answer any questions. The best way is definitely just go on my website, planbpasper.com, and you can schedule a free consultancy call there. 
and ask me all the questions. I also host uh, webinars now, probably once a month or maybe a couple of times a month uh, on Saturdays, 2 p.m. East. Um, so yeah, keep your eye open on the website. There will be sign up for webinar as well. So this is, these are two good ways to learn about password business for sure. And is your side chain conference sold out or do you still have some room? We're about to be sold out. I bet this week we're going to be sold out. But if you want to buy tickets for that, undergroundcitadel.com slash Miami. Excellent. All right. Is there anything we didn't touch on tonight that you would have loved to have touched on? Because uh, I feel as though we've covered a lot of ground, but I want to make sure that uh, we've got everything. No, we definitely covered a lot. I do want to talk to you about unschooling a lot. But we'll, we'll keep it for later because uh, that's definitely going to be my next project. Okay. Anytime. DMs are open and uh, we can jump on a Zoom call and, uh, you know, I can drink some wine and you can drink some water and I might even get some vodka in. And <laughs> I can't wait, to, yeah. uh, can't wait to meet you with uh, a bunch of the dirt bags one day when we're allowed to travel again. We were really hoping to make it to the conference. It's looking very, very unlikely. But um, that's the way it is. Maybe next year. I understand, yeah. Well, thanks a lot. I definitely enjoyed the chat. Uh, thank you. See you soon, Katie. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again, Katie, for coming on. I hope everybody enjoyed that one as much as I did. I thought that was such a fun chat. And getting to know more about uh, Katie and her upbringing, um, the, the whole sailing thing, Sorry if I geeked out a little bit too deeply on that. I find it really, really fascinating. And uh, hands off. Hands off, guys. Katie's taken. She's found herself a dirtbag. Watch this space. That's It's uh, yeah, nice to hear that um, another Bitcoin couple coming together and uh, you know going to be doing their best to orange pill as many people as possible in their sphere of influence. So check out Katie's side conference that she's going to be uh, throwing at the the main conference in Miami go watch and cheer on the team and the uh, and the football and ask her how to read the water I'm sure she'd be happy to help thanks for coming on Katie really enjoyed it guys before we sign off please check out my book choose life you can find it on Amazon and uh, I think I'm going to start releasing chapters on the podcast it might be some fun thing to do um, any feedback on that or ideas let me know Please check out the sponsors page there, once-bitten.com on the website. Check out the uh, the companies doing great work. Coinfloor.co.uk, swanbitcoin.com, relay.ch, and shiftcrypto.ch. All forward slash bitten. These are all Bitcoin companies doing great work in the space. Please go and support them, follow them, retweet them, take a look at their products and their services. Take care, guys. <laughs>